JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Zach Kiefer of the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Is that a sneeze right there, or is that what was going on? What was that noise? John, I'm, I'm opening my windows in my office. It's a nice day here. It is a nice day, isn't it? How's your office? Is it nice? It's not too bad. It's, it's about the only place in my house that stays quiet all day. So I get away from the dog. The kids are at school. I can actually get some work done over here. But it's getting harder because it's getting really nice out today. So maybe a couple golf swings before the draft if I can squeeze them in. Yeah, no doubt about that. Zach Kiefer is with us. I know you as well as us inundated with quarterback questions. And, and I've said this before. I'd, I'd heard this going back to October that uh, the Colts really like Will Levis, and that that really hasn't changed to me. I'm not suggesting this could not change, because I know that there are a lot of variables going on here, and what they end up coming down with. You think that it, to me is it more logical right now that they draft Levis at four, or that they would trade back and try to get somebody a little bit later and get value out of that four pick? What's more logical to you as we sit here and talk? Yeah, I, I like staying put. I like staying put. I, I'm tired of, of this team sort of playing defense or trying to get value, right? I think you need to be a little bold, a little aggressive, and, and roll the dice at some point. You can't just sit on the sidelines and just keep waiting for the perfect situation to come to you. And I'll be honest, John, I don't think we've talked since I went to Kentucky for Levis's pro day. would have been two Fridays ago right before the owners' meetings. Right. I didn't know a whole lot about him as a dude. I didn't really, and that's what the pro day trip was for. And, you know, talking to Liam Cohen, his OC that first year at Kentucky, when Levis was at Penn State, he was texting Cohen every day during spring practices, wanting film. And then he would have 15 questions or so after every single practice, wanting to know more. Um, You know, you always have questions about a guy who has a better junior year than he does senior year, but the injuries were pretty substantial for Levis last year. He's a tough player. He played through that. There's certainly concerns. If there wasn't, he'd be a little bit higher on most people's boards. But I came away with a very positive impression of Will Levis, the person, that I didn't really know about after my trip to Kentucky. So the other thing is Brad Walker is there, and he was the Colts linebackers coach early, you know, under Chuck Pagano. And and so I think that's a really good resource this team's going to lean on. He runs the defense. He was around Levis every single day the last two years in Lexington. They're going to ask him a lot of questions. And if he gives a favorable review, that's a really good sign for Will Levis. Were you taking it all? I know you didn't go to Gainesville. 
But were you taking it all at the workout? I, I try really hard, Zach, not to get all excited about the way somebody does on their own pro day like that. But it was really hard last week to watch Anthony Richardson do all that stuff. Be so big, be so fast, so agile, so strong, have such a great arm and all that stuff. The only problem is we really don't know whether or not he can play quarterback. Yeah, he's he's a better prospect than he is quarterback. No doubt. And, and you got to be a quarterback to win at this level. Um, honestly, I didn't put too much stock in the throwing sessions. I'll be honest. I was talking to a Colt scout who was there, and he basically said it's another box to check. You're not going to see anything you don't already know, right? Like we knew we knew Levis could throw it a mile. We knew Richardson is maybe the most athletically gifted quarterback we've ever seen as a prospect because we saw that at the combine. But, you know, there was, a, there was a difference in the two pro days I went to. C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, very accurate. You could see it on the, um, the touch throws on the sideline, you know, the layered throws in the middle of the field, guys not having to slow down. You could see it on the deep balls, too. He's just a smoother release. Levis was a little bit more inaccurate. There was one, I don't know, five to ten yards over the middle that he just rocketed. It, it was shades of Jacob Eason in training camp a couple of years ago. Not what you want to see. But, again, these guys are completing – 90% of their throws, and they're wearing shorts. And, you know, you have to point out the fact that, you know, Stroud's throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr., for God's sakes, and Will Levis's guys dropped five or six of his passes. So it's not real football. It's not, and the teams don't make a big deal about it. That's why Ballard wasn't there. Steichen wasn't there. They get a lot more from what they're doing right now. They're visiting with all these quarterbacks for private workouts and then interviews right now. And I think, uh, from my understanding, that'll be done by next week. And everyone wants to know who the Colts are going to pick. I don't think the Colts know at this point. And I think that's fair. Jim Mercer said that last Monday night when we met with him at his hotel suite. They're still doing their research. And the very, very important part are the interviews that they're going to have with these guys, these longer interviews, not the 15-minute sessions they do at the Combine. That's where they really start to get to know these guys a little bit more. And as you know, at the quarterback spot, that's so, that's so important. I'm curious what you think about this. And I know that he's the owner, and he, sure, is going to know everything. But do you think that, especially before the owners' meetings, before Jim talks to you guys in the fashion in which he did, do you think that they they kind of keep it secret from the owner before he has the opportunity to talk? I, because I, I will sit here and suggest, I bet you, and they wouldn't cop to it. I would not expect them to, but I bet they do. I don't think you're wrong. And I'll I'll say this, and and I don't want to speak for Joel Erickson of the Star and Stephen Holder of ESPN, who were there with me. But of the three interviews we had that day, we learned progressively more with each interview. And a lot of it is based on who we talked to, right? We had Shane Steichen at about 7.30 in the morning, and he didn't say much, right? He was buttoned up. He's a coach. He didn't reveal hardly anything. We sat down with Chris Ballard (laughs) outside on the little hotel plaza about noon, and we learned a little bit more. And then we take a bus ride over to the Phoenician and we sit on Jim Mercer's hotel suite patio and we learn a whole lot more. So it was progressively more revealing. I don't know. Jim Mercer, he doesn't answer to anybody. Nobody really tells him what to do. Um, I love the fact that he can't help but be honest. He, he's straight up. He doesn't lie. Oh, I, I would agree with you on that, yeah. And, and you learn the most about that. And, and I walked out of that hotel suite and I was not alone thinking – that Lamar Jackson is not in the short-term play for this team. Now, if they miss out on their quarterback in the draft, I think anything's possible, and they're not ruling anything out. But it certainly didn't seem like something Jim Irsay wants to do. He wants to build from the ground up. He wants to draft a rookie 
and then use that rookie contract to address the other needs that the, that we know that this team has. Does it matter? Can you tell at all? And this is kind of me saying, can you read the tea leaves by who the Colts end up sending to these workouts and these pro days? Is there anything into that? No, I, I think if we're looking into that, we're just over. We're just over. Oh yeah. Well, everything. we're doing we're doing that every minute anyway. So we're yeah. doing that every day for the next twenty five sure. days, and, and right. that's that's the fun part because there's no real clear answer. Um, but maybe I'm overthinking it. But you know, we're all talking about what Ursay wants, and we're all talking about what Ballard's tendencies are. The one guy we're not talking about enough is Shane Steichen, and this was an interesting tell from last week. Ursay said point blank that, that Ballard and Steichen are going to make this decision. They're going to make this decision. And barring something unpredictable or illogical, illogical was the word he used, he's not going to overstep that. Now, John, we all lived through last season, right? We know, we know that's <laughs> happened before. Yeah. I do think Ursay has taken a very purposeful step back. He's going to let Ballard make this call. He's going to let Steichen have his say, and he's going to jump in and get in the way. They are going to build this quarterback. They're going to build this offense around this quarterback. That's what Steichen wants to do. And Ballard's track record speaks to that. He's, he's usually given the coach the quarterback he wants. Now, for better or for worse, right? Like Frank Reich wanted Carson Wentz, and Ballard wishes he could go back and, and, and not do that trade. Now, last year, Frank Reich wanted Matt Ryan, but so did Chris Ballard. And Ursay was the one who pushed that over the line. So, it's going to be fascinating to see where Steichen comes down in all of this. And the one, the one thing we don't know is we know he's worked with a bunch of different quarterbacks with a bunch of different skill sets, right? Phillip Rivers is your prototypical pocket passer late in his career. He did wonders with, with Justin Herbert as a rookie, and he really elevated Jalen Hurts in terms of accuracy the last year and a half in Philly. What does he prefer? We don't know because he's never been a head coach before. But the one thing that, that Steichen's not going to bend on is that obsessive quality. He wants a guy – who, who eats, drinks, and sleeps football. And maybe that's hard to find out in the draft process because these quarterbacks are all going to tell you that, right? They're going to tell you what you want to hear. But I think that's sort of the art of it. We can all watch the tape. We can all see these guys for what they are and for what they're not as football players. But the art of it is figuring out if they're a real dude, for lack of a better phrase. Like, who's the guy that's really all about football and who's the guy that's just in this because they – like what football brings them. That's a debate the Colts have in the draft room a lot. Chris Ballard told us last week, what's this guy going to do when he gets paid? Because you're drafting this guy to be here for 10 or 12 or 15 years, which means one of these colossal quarterback contracts that are coming. So that's a debate they're going to have in the draft room. What's this guy going to do if he has success? And I think Steichen's perspective is going to be really fascinating because I think he's going to have a lot bigger say than a lot of us are saying right now. So is that key for the athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline? What what goes into a workout? For example, so the Colts go to Southern California where both uh, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are going through workouts for them. Um, do, do they have like a checklist of stuff where these guys go through it uh, according to what they want and what they want to see? How does that work? Yeah, they definitely do. You're going there to get information, right? You're going there to test this guy. You don't want him to be comfortable. And so what I what I liked from the two pro days I saw was, was Will Levis's was run by Jordan Palmer, Carson Palmer's brother. He's a QB coach, really good, really smart. He was basically calling out plays at the line of scrimmage for Will Levis to run on the spot. So the quarterback's not comfortable. It's not scripted. It's a little bit out of the comfort zone for them, right? You're going to see how they react in real time, and they got to make the plays. 
without a lot of notice. That matters. I think that was a little bit less scripted than C.J. Stroud's, and, and that's, that's how football works, right? So they're going to run them through that, right? They're going to control the workout. They're going to tell them what to do. They're not going to be prepared. The quarterbacks are not going to know what's going to come, and they're going to test them on that. But I think when you get to the film room, that's what you really learn. Like I remember Bruce Arians telling me a story about Andrew Luck and how you know, they would get him in the film room and they would tell him five different things. And then after the workout, so a couple hours later, they would go back and Arians would tell him, well, this, this, and this. And Luck would point out, well, that's not what you said the first time. So they're testing them every single step of the way to try and pick up things and tells and checks and audibles and all those different things. And honestly, let's be honest, it was a little bit easier with Andrew Luck at that point because everybody knew where they were going. This one's a little bit more complicated. And so, you know, Will Levis is coming from a pro-style system. C.J. Stroud's coming from a system where he had everything you could ever want around you in terms of talent. And the Big Ten isn't quite the SEC in a lot of ways in terms of the defenses you're facing. So there's a lot of nuance to the decision. And, and they're going to work these guys out, and they're going to get to spend some time with them. And, and honestly, it's, it's the best chance you're going to get to really see who these guys are. So I don't have a problem with the Colts not knowing who they're going to take right now because I feel like these couple of weeks before they stack their board are the really the most revealing portions of this draft process. And when you're drafting a quarterback, so much of it is not just what you see on tape. It's what kind of human being are you drafting? And is this kid going to be mature enough to step into an organization where every single player is looking to them to be the guy? Zach Kiefer is with us. I never thought an ounce that the Colts are going to have interest in Lamar Jackson. And I have said such. Um, wow. And then Jim Irsay last week you know, came out and said what he said. And I'm curious, do you think that this would come down more to, because we both know this, that Jim Irsay would love nothing more than a quick turnaround. But do you think this is more about just stratospherically with guaranteed money how they want to stay away from that? Or is this more about what the rest of the league wants and Jim Irsay wanting to be the voice of NFL owners around the league? What, what, what has carrying yeah. more weight in this case with Lamar Jackson uh, in mind? I'm going to side with the latter. You know Jim Irsay. You know how much he sees ownership as stewardship. That's a word he's used. He doesn't like the word owner. He likes steward. He's a guy that brings up Palace and Lamar Hunt and all these legendary owners and how they built the game up. And there was a moment last week during the owners' meetings, there was a picture on the wall of the owners' meeting from 1988 at the same hotel, the Biltmore. And Jim Mercer is the only guy in that picture that's still there. Now, Mike Brown, the, the Bengals owner, was in the picture, but he's not at these meetings because he's 88 and he doesn't travel that much anymore. So, you know, that kind of stuff matters to Jim Mercer. And to pivot to Lamar Jackson, you know, Jim Mercer's words were very clear. I don't believe in guaranteed contracts at all, at all. He said it twice. Now, maybe Lamar will settle for a little bit less than guaranteed, but the point was Jim Mercer is not going to be the owner that breaks that norm. He's not going to go against the consensus. He's not going to do what Jimmy Haslam did in Cleveland last year where a desperate Browns franchise awarded $230 million guaranteed to Deshaun Watson after everything Deshaun Watson had been accused of. That's not going to be what Ursay does. And that's very important to him. His reputation and his standing in the league, that stewardship is really important to him. But, you know, if you just look at the football side of it, Lamar's got a lot to like, right? 46 and 15 as a starter. He's won an MVP. But something Chris Ballard has mentioned before that's come to my mind is he said this about paying players. You don't pay a player for what he's done. You pay a player for what he's going to do. 
And that's not to say Lamar Jackson can't have some great football ahead of him. He will. He's tremendous. But the reality is there are very real concerns about his injuries. He's missed 11 games the last two years at the worst time of the year, December and January. He missed a playoff start. And there's real concerns about his style of play and if it can last for 10 years. And when you're talking, let's just say, $150 million guaranteed, that's a very real concern for teams. But Jim Mersey, the interesting thing that he said last week multiple times, it's not the money. These are his words. It's not the money. That's not an issue for me. That's what he said. He can drop $150 million, no problem. It's the way you build your team. And he doesn't want to give up those gold nuggets, the gold nuggets being first-round draft picks. He doesn't want to give those up. And he doesn't want to build a roster around a quarterback who's going to get paid $50 million a year when you can't address the other needs on the team. So, you know, Jim Irsay, for all the impatience of the last six months, and I'm going back to Jeff Saturday and Frank Reich and all that, I wrote the story. He was impatient. He was impetuous. A little reckless, right? I really feel like, for the most part, he will be a patient owner, and he wants to give Shane Steichen a rookie quarterback to, to build the offense around and to develop over time. He feels like that's the best way to win in this league, and he kept mentioning the teams that have done it. He mentioned Philly on Jalen Hurts' rookie deal, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. They gave him the big contract, but he's homegrown. Josh Allen with the Bills. That's what Ursay desperately craves. And he mentioned the two Lombardis again. Everybody out there is probably laughing because they were 4-12-1, and and why are you talking about multiple Super Bowls? That's Jim Ursay. And he feels like his best chance to win a Super Bowl and then another one is to build it from the ground up so you can build something that sustains itself. Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Here's a hypothetical for you. If this Lamar Jackson situation was a year ago and the Colts were in complete desperation mode to clearly see something on tape of Matt Ryan that no longer did exist and believe that, and in desperation mode because Jim Irsay put them there wanting to move on from Carson Wentz at quarterback. And before Jim Irsay says a word about Daniel Snyder and before he, he kind of stepped up to be that voice of leadership among the NFL owners, would he have been more apt to take a chance and be more interested in Lamar Jackson a year ago? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think it makes just too much sense. There wasn't the second injury. And Lamar was closer to that MVP season. And then secondly, what were your options, right? And old Matt Ryan. And then I think the backups were like Andy Dalton or Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston. Like none of that really does it for you. And remember the Colts thinking a year ago was we're close. All we have to do is replace the quarterback, Carson Wentz, and we'll be fine. So they went out and signed a 37-year-old Matt Ryan. And it didn't fix the problem because the problems went far deeper than the quarterback. But, again, that was part of the issue. And I asked Jim Irsay last Monday night, I said, what are your biggest regrets of the last two years? And he said, look, it, it was a lesson I already knew. You can't convince yourself you're closer than you are. And so the guy, that goes kind of back to my previous point where he really wants to build this up from the beginning. And I think he's willing to be patient to do that. But if they would have made a move for Lamar Jackson last year, no, the Ravens wouldn't have been ready to do it. But secondly – that would have been fun because that would have been fun. He would have been running for his life this year behind this offensive line, but as dynamic and as talented as he is, that would certainly have been entertaining. Hey, Zach, do you think Hendon Hooker is in the mix as far as this decision at quarterback's concerned? I don't think so. It, it, it Certainly you can make a case for that. If they're able to get a stud defensive player at four and then maybe they have to trade up late first round to get Hooker 
I really don't think that. I think the injury takes him off the board. I think they're going to go with, if those two guys are left, Richardson or Levis. That's my gut. That's kind of what I've heard from people that are paying attention to this, that are inside the know. Um, I feel like it's going to be Levis or Richardson. Yeah, I do too. People bring up Hooker all the time. It, it here's a great example because what, what's the timetable of Hooker coming back from that injury? Maybe yeah, you got to wash out the entire year, basically. I, I mean, would, would you, if you're going to do that, then you take the chance on Richardson, right? Yep, hundred percent. I'm and I'm and I think they I think they will. I think if you draft Anthony Richardson. And despite all the needs, you know, with Gardner Minshew being your quarterback, I think Ballard would sit him for a year. I think Ursay would be patient, and I think that's the right play. You don't want to rush this kid in. He needs to learn. He's only started 13 college games. Like, I think a year as a redshirt would benefit him tremendously. And if, this is the other thing Ursay mentioned a couple of times. He mentioned 2025, and he mentioned 2027. This guy's thinking long-term. He's thinking five years from now with this decision. And so this is not a situation where if you land a guy that's not ready to play, you don't force them in to try and make the playoffs in 2023. This team's not there yet. They got some nice pieces, but they got a lot of holes. And so I think you could really set your franchise back if you start him too soon. Richardson's 21 years old. Let him sit for a year and take your lumps. If that is the philosophy right now, don't you go Richardson's direction? Don't you do that? Yeah, I I think so. Because uh, Will Ellinger be the third quarterback on this team behind – Whomever and Gardner yeah. Minshew, he'll be a part of the mix, right? Yeah, Foles is on the roster, but even Ursay didn't even mention Foles as, as as on the roster. Like he likes Sam, but as a third. And and the reality is, this bet if they draft Richardson, if they draft a player like that, whoever they draft a quarterback, the bet is not just on the quarterback, right? The bet is on Shane Steichen. The bet is that he can make this guy a really really good quarterback because they're not going to get drafted one or two like Stroud and like. Bryce Young. So that's that's going to be the fascinating part. But um, I, I, I just don't think – I don't think Foles is going to be in, the fa- in a factor at all. And I think, you know, gun to head, they would roll with Minshew if they had to because they're going to play the long game. You know, it's funny about that is – and not everybody, but some, some would find – and this is in a season in which we can all see what's coming here. Some Colts fans would find it interesting to see what Minshew has – why? Because they found him interesting for a handful of years now. And I think that they would find it interesting while while you wait. Now, to me, I would rather have somebody be able to step in there, take their lumps, and have at it. But I, I just think in, in terms of how you think about Menchu's fit here, his ultimate fit in this season, maybe that speaks more to them having interest in Richardson because you are going to wait and see how that turns out longer than you would. Certainly a Will Levis type. I think every Colts fan out there thinks Gardner Minshew is terrific because they watched him go 19 for 21 in that opener a couple of years ago and basically dice up what was, you know, eventually a pretty good Colts defense. But look, I mean, I think Minshew's pretty good and, and I don't think it's a I don't think it's a crazy thought to think that he's better than any of the three quarterbacks they had on the roster last year. Right? Like Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, Sam Ellinger. Like, well, from what we I, witnessed. I would, yeah, from what we witnessed. Yeah, that's not a stretch. The argument, at the very least, I think Mitchie's probably in that Jacoby Brissett tier in terms of good enough to play if he needs to, a very good backup if he doesn't. And, and that's really why they made this play for the bridge quarterback. Now, it's different because Mitchie played well last year for Philadelphia, but what was he playing behind? 
the, one of the best offenses in football, the best offensive line in football, with one of the best play callers. Now, he's got that play caller here in Indy, and, and I almost like that the Colts are bringing back Ryan Kelly with the new offensive line coach and saying, all right, go prove it. Like, you're going to have a bounce-back year. You need to have it. Otherwise, we're going to have to move on. And, and same thing kind of for Kenny Moore, right? He's entering a contract year. He's going to have a lot of motivation to play the best football of his life. So I don't hate those moves. I thought they would probably move one or two of them. But the fact that they're coming back, those guys are going to have a lot of motivation. So we'll see what happens with Minshew. But honestly, he could be better than anything they had at quarterback last year, which isn't saying much. But maybe it's a step in the right direction. Maybe while while you let the new guy wait for a little bit. All right, Zach, final quick thing here. Is there a timetable on when we should expect to hear from, you know, through you or, you know, Stephen Holder or anybody else, maybe ESPN in longer form from Jeff Saturday about how last season went down? I wonder, are Colts fans dying to, to relive that? I wonder. I, w- uh, I, I want to know. I, I mean, I, then again, yeah. I think the problem we're going to have is he wants to maintain, I think he wants to maintain within the organization his stature there. So he's probably not going to go 100% everything. But I would like to know. I would be kind of curious. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I detailed a lot of that in a late, late season story. I think the story was published a couple of days before the finale. It wasn't all on Jeff, but it was definitely inside the building on the frustrations with Ursay and, and all that. But um, I reached out to Jeff after the season, never heard back. Um, I, I did find it fascinating, and I don't know if you did, but during the coaching search with about two weeks to go, I reported that he wasn't the favorite and he wasn't likely to get the job. Now, there were some national reports floating around that he was Ursay's pick and he was going to get the job. And that's just certainly not what I was hearing. And then obviously Jeff is very friendly with some national reporters out there from his time at ESPN. So, look, I would love to read it as well. But to be honest, man, last year took years off my life. And I'm not anxious to go back to it anytime soon. Yeah, I just I, I kind of want to know what really went down. And I, I just I'd be a f- I shouldn't be afraid, but I, I would think it's probably – he's not going to go, I don't think, too deep into the negativity here no, because he's he, still – and, and yeah. even if even if that, you know, the you know, the what, what they did online, some of these asinine, ridiculous knucklehead Colts fans did with that petition, I don't even think that will play a role. I think he'll be more quiet than he will anything else about it, the real stuff. Yeah, he he's a good dude, and, and he's a great Colt, and I think – in a year or two, if he comes back for one of the Ring of Honor ceremonies, I think he gets a big ovation. I don't think this will be held against him. He was in a pickle. He decided to try and help the team. He wasn't a fit. And whether he saw that, whether Jim Mercer didn't see that, we all saw that. Um, but there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. And um, he could have a role with this organization down the line. I'm not ruling that out. Um, but honestly, I think it, it, it's, it's probably eight games that Colts fans just want to erase from their memory banks. <laughs> Fair enough. Zach Kiefer, The Athletic, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Get out there and swing them in this nice weather. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, 
the month of March goes so incredibly quick, and it goes even quicker when you're enjoying it, like I was watching our next guest and his team roll roughshod to the Final Four in Houston over the weekend, being in that national semifinal on Saturday night. Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, the pride of Greene County, Indiana's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How you feeling? Good, John. How are you, man? Holy crap! You're excited. Look at you. Uh, yeah. You're full On of juice. <laughs> <laughs> On to the next thing. That's that's our that's our life right now. You know, you you finish one thing and you just you transition to another. Yeah, it's funny. I was uh, doing my thing because I'm very superstitious. So I'm doing my thing on Saturday night, my normal job, and watching you guys play. And when when Butler hit that shot. I just started getting inundated with tweets saying, oh, man, you know, and, and I said, well, got to move on to the next thing. And it, it, it sounds so cliched, but damn, Dusty, in this day and age, that's exactly what you have to do. You don't have much time to really soak much good or bad up at all, do you? No, to be honest, like now you, you've got to ca- we have to capitalize. We're such a new program. We're still trying to build a fan base. We're trying to help our guys in every way we can. So. You know, you don't have any time to breathe. You move on to the next. But, you know, it's sometime in May. Uh, you can decompress a little bit. But, you know, it's it's, it's a good problem to have. It's because it's we did well. So. All right. Well, tell me how what, – what's the plan to capitalize off of what was an incredible run in the month of March? Well, first and foremost, it's, it's roster retention and meeting with their guys, uh, creating a plan for them to improve, for all of them to do, to do better as a group and, and also individually. So – that's first and foremost. And then just get out and, and, and work local businesses. We're trying to uh, sell more season tickets. We, we sold out our last seven games. So we'd like for majority of the arena to be sold out with six season ticket holders with seat licenses. So just really getting out in local business, trying to develop relationships and, and uh, you know, help our guys as much as we can with the NIL space and, and uh, just, just keeping it moving forward. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more with you in a second. Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I, I know how you value every possession, both sides of the floor, but especially your offensive possession, that one at the end. I mean, it it almost felt like, I know one, because it was a struggle to get the ball in bounds, but you, you kind of knew, didn't you, that you needed to score on your final possession because were you a little bit looking forward, kind of uh, just, I, I don't know, concerned about just exactly what happened with that Butler shot? It just seemed like you really did value that final possession, feeling you needed really to score with that final attempt well they caught us off guard a little bit by not fouling with the six second difference we we kind of assumed they were going to foul they didn't and then the sideline out of bounds we had one timeout left we run a play and and we caught the our guy take it out called the timeout with two seconds into it so it, it kind of got us a little bit disheveled and then to be honest the last play was going to be one of is either a play for davis or martin depending on how they defended it and Davis had been in that situation probably 15 times this year and had delivered all 15. Uh, a roop for them made a, a, a big-time defensive play and, and affected the shot, and then it didn't hit the rim, so it caromed directly to their player on the move yep. without any balances, without any time going off. And then uh, we stop his initial thrust, and I, to be honest, I didn't think they were going to get the shot off. He comes a millimeter from stepping out, yep. and then he just made a great individual play. And to be honest, it, w- it wasn't even that play. Like, we had, we made uncharacteristic mistakes for us. 
with the free throw line blockouts with, you know, we got beat to some loose balls in the last five minutes. So we looked at that as we probably didn't deserve, we didn't feel like we deserved to win like we did most of the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know you were searching for that stop and it just seemed like it never came. Yeah. And just, and, and, and for whatever reason, I mean, they, they have guys that were, were in a complete funk and they're making hard shots. Even when we went back and looked at the film, we're like, man, these are tough shots. Like in real time, we were disappointed. felt like we weren't defending well, but in hindsight, I was like a couple of these, I said, if our guys shot this, I'd be, I'd be on them for shooting bad shots. I said, you know, it's just San Diego state played well. We made some mistakes and they obviously, uh, you know, they're connected, they're together, they believe, much like uh, we did this year and found a way to win it. Yeah, Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic via the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon. You talk about Butler and, you know, being close a millimeter from stepping out of bounds. I thought even if he takes one more dribble, doesn't step out of bounds and tries to go baseline instead of between the legs and coming back up and creating a little jump, uh, mid-range jump shot space, I thought you had him then. I mean, I, I did. Yeah. I thought one more, one more half step, one more dribble toward the baseline, and you got this thing. And you know, to his credit, he just maneuvered to where he got just the least bit of space, and that was enough. Yeah, he went uphill a little bit, John. Yeah. Just, you know, our, our our guy deflected the ball, knocked it loose. He maintained possession of it, and then he just went uphill and and, and made a tough shot. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those things where there's a lot of randomness that goes into it, that he happened to be on a guy that he was, you know, there's a basically an 80% chance he would have been on, uh, uh, someone else would have been on him. The one defender that happened to be on him was, was our smallest guy and he was able to, to elevate over him. But, uh, like I said, we, we didn't look at that as the play that really cost us the game. It was the lapses throughout. So Dusty May with us, you mentioned how things went down with you were surprised they didn't foul you and the six-second difference and, you know, calling the timeout two seconds into that five-second count to inbounds the basketball. Were you surprised that Brian Dutcher didn't call a timeout in that final possession? Not at all. You've got, you got the ball in the hands of an of a all-league caliber player, your point guard. And even though it wasn't their best offensive lineup, they had a, a great offensive rebounding lineup. So if he could have just got a good look at the rim early in the clock, they probably could have been in position to get a rebound just because they had all their bigs in, their size was in. Uh, so, no, I, I wouldn't have called a timeout in that position unless things just went south. And we weren't, we, you know, we were fumbling it. We looked disorganized. I, I thought he played it exactly how I would have uh, a broken floor without, against a, a defense that isn't set. And then we might have a chance to sub in different defenders. And there's just so many variables that go into those last possessions. Are they going to change defense? And in that situation, broken floor, all league guard, you got to let them go make a play. Yeah, I just thought your guys for most of that game just, I mean, came out there certainly like they've been there before. I mean, it was just a, a cool and I, and obviously you know, down the stretch, missed blockouts, things of that nature. But you guys got up 14 with 14 minutes to go. And it seemed like that it was not 14 minutes. It, it seemed like it took forever. And I, I don't know if that's just the way that it is. I don't know if you feel the same way. But for me, you get up 14 with about 14 minutes to go. It felt like that clock was ticking forever from that point in time on. Yeah, John, and it wasn't like they made a run. They just chipped away yeah. at it. But yeah. once again, it was it was uh, it was several mistakes that we made that we don't normally make. Um, you know, fouling the three, barely touching the, the shooter's arm on a three point shot. There's just and then obviously some some calls didn't go our way late in the game. I mean, it, it was the perfect storm. Um, 
you know, we, we felt like we were good enough to advance, but we didn't play well enough that night. And, and credit San Diego State because they, they, they made plays. So Dusty May is with us of Florida Atlantic. You mentioned what you're doing as you're moving on right now. So do we know as of you and I talking right now that um, that everybody that's eligible to come back is coming back? Yeah, they've all went public, but they're 100% coming back. They're doing nice. it all and, and, and this and that. And there's there's been no wavering in our individual meetings. So um, obviously every day is different and things can change as, as people can – they can change their minds. Uh, but yeah, as of as of right now, you know they're all 100 percent coming back. They're preparing as if they're signing leases and doing all the stuff that uh, young men do when they're uh, they're they're preparing to, to to make another run at it. You know, one thing that you said, and this was in a piece with NCAA March Madness. They did a video of you, you in the uh, cowboy outfit, which was nice right there. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that was on camera, by the way. So. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen you in a cowboy hat, but that looks well, like something I, Fabio would probably wear. I, I was a little surprised you had it on. Yeah, I don't know if I, uh, I'll ever wear it again, but if your name is Dusty, you, you got at least have a cowboy hat in the arsenal. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't so much that. Is I, and I, I love what you said here, and I know every coach is different, but you talked about your teams in terms of being connected. And you talked about your team. There are no clicks on your team. That every day is different. You're going to the locker room. Guys are cutting up with different guys in there. And I think that is so essential. And, and watching, like a lot of youth, watching my kids play, that is so essential to understand and learn that as a coach when they're young. And that, to me, would have to be exceptionally special to have that type of group because it doesn't always go that way, Dusty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of things go into it, John. Number one, we have a like-minded group that they all work hard. They want to win. They they enjoy sharing and sacrificing. They get, it's kind of like when you have kids. Like, we enjoy sacrificing for our children or for our family. I think it's it, it's very similar to that. And then the other thing, I think there's a really, like, strong mutual respect for each other. Like, they – they all respect each other's work ethic, their grind, the way they prepare, the way they show up every day. So I think those things kind of rolled into one. And then, and then also just a bunch of good dudes that, that you know, have a really good perspective on life. So I think you, you, roll, you roll all that into one and you got a really healthy locker room and, and uh, a team that can, can, make some, uh, can make some noise again. I'm, I'm curious, coaching this up, and I know that that is, is how you want to put together a team, how you want to piece this together with personalities like that. But how much of that does just come down to good fortune, too? Just having that group being fortunate to have those personalities, those like personalities. Well, we're very, very intentional as a, as a staff, as a group, to praise the things that are important to us and, and never waver, never put our guys in compromising positions. For example, whatever's important to us, yeah. if they do that and it doesn't go well, then then we're not blaming them. Then it's just we didn't get it done. And so I, I think a lot of those things all go together. Like we never praise the guy that made the shot. It's the guy that set the screen or made the pass or created the, the, the driving lane, whatever it is. So we're very intentional about everyone. Like, like the old North Carolina team is always thinking the passer with a point. Well, we think the screener, if I drive and you get a good seal and give me a layup, it, it, you know, you'll hear our assistant coaches think the, think the sealer, think the big for sealing. Like, 
So if, if, if I make a shot and three guys come running over to high-five me, our staff will stop. No, 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 go high-five him. He set the screen. Go high-five him. He's the one that made the early pitch head pass or whatever the case. So I think you know what, how we are every single day, the way we live and, and what's important to us definitely trickles down to our guys, and they've embraced it. And, and you see them. They enjoy passing the ball. We had an open practice the day before we played. And and I told the, I told somebody I said man we because we we canceled our other practice we just walked around in the ballroom I said we got a, we got more done in 50 minutes than than we would have in two or three hours in the past, and I said it's amazing how much our guys look like they enjoy passing and sharing the ball, and and what a tribute to their character. Yeah, I mean, and I I see you on the sideline, and you're you're cool and you're calm and collected. And I'm sure you're much more nervous and grinding on the inside, but, you know, outwardly showing how cool you are. And, you know, that's a product from, you know, understanding and knowing what you guys, what your guys are going to do. And it just it seems like that there's a lot of just already understood communication that you don't have to give this particular group. John, we spend a lot of time talking about how we, we decide how we're going to respond to adversity really how we're going to respond to anything well in advance of the heat of the moment. We decide months in advance how we're going to respond to officials. We'll start to, if, if we if we've complained to officials too much, we'll start talking about that all summer and calling technicals in practice or whatever the case, just so we can decide now how we're going to respond to whatever once the season comes next year. Because once it becomes a, an intense moment or you're in that moment and you haven't planned how you're going to respond, then you're going to respond with emotion, intensity, and, and all those things probably get you out of your, your, your best version. So we, we spend a lot of time talking about how we're going to respond to any situation well in advance. And, and it's the same thing with us coaches. We've decided a long time ago that – Anything that we're doing, if it's not helping our players, then we need to stop doing it. And so a lot of times coaches, our bad body language is is more our insecurities of telling everyone that I didn't teach that, I don't endorse that, I don't like that, or whatever the case. And in reality, all that's doing is showing up your players whenever – uh, you know, they don't need to be shown up. They know that, that that whatever they did didn't work well. So we've just been very intentional trying not to do anything that, that subtracts from our group. Yeah, that sounds so much like in, in different words in what he said. But back when, when Brad Stevens was the head coach of Butler, it sounds so similar. I think he used it uh, in, in the phrase of everybody's got to be pushing in the same direction or you yeah. can't get to that level. And that's exactly what you're saying, just in a different way right now. Absolutely, and, and and from the our entire program. I mean, during practice, I, I've learned I need to take a step. I used to be involved in every pass, every catch, every cut, and then now as I've gotten a little bit older, I take a step back and I observe a lot more, and I don't need to talk near as much. And I feel like I'm a better coach by shutting up and, and observing and watching and then interjecting when I need to. And our assistants are the same way. Like they just all they want to do is just add to this equation and never subtract, even though it might make us feel better. You take a lot of bits and pieces away from your coaching style. I know your philosophy obviously grows and evolves, but do you take a lot of bits and pieces from your coaching style away from uh, people you've been around and, and people you've seen do it as well? Maybe not even been close to on the bench with, but people you've seen do it. Yeah, I mean, and you observe what you know. You're sitting on the bench by a bunch of different head coaches, so you observe what they do that works and doesn't work, and then you try to figure out what works and why it works for them. So, I mean, if you're always trying to get better, you're always trying to find the best way for you. And I just I learned a long time ago that 
me challenging guys at my size and, and my physical stature and, and all that and my relationship didn't help. It, it made them play worse. So why would I want to do anything that, that helps our guy that doesn't help our guys play better? Um, and then obviously Brad Stevens and Tony Bennett and those guys that, you know, they're, they're younger head coaches. Yeah. When I was growing up, those guys all proved by winning national championships, going to the final four that you could do it. Um, in a number of different ways, because the way we were raised, I mean, I thought I thought that way was great, and I thought it shaped me. But it just it's not for me right now. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it makes complete sense, and especially if that message is positively taken, and I mean, universally by your team, which clearly Dusty it has been. Yeah, and and, and obviously they're very self motivated yeah. and. They, they have great accountability to each other. That's another thing that I think all elite teams, they can hold each other accountable and they don't take it personal. And, you know, we talk about it a lot that we're all going to be wrong and I'm going to be wrong more than anyone because I have more decisions to make, but it's okay to be wrong as long as you're trying like heck to get better. You, you can always be wrong in our program. You imagine when you played not taking stuff personally? Because I can't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I take, yeah, I still take everything personal. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah, me too. I just I hide it. it. Yeah. No, but but even human nature, when someone comes at you, your your first natural instinct is usually like to try to go back at them. Yes. And, and it's not healthy. I mean, just take just listen to what he's talking. Listen to what he says. Process it. And then, heck, you may say like I don't agree, or you know what, you're right. Whatever it is, but just let him. He's talking. Let's let him finish and and process what he's saying. And then you know we can go from there. I mean, but. We're at least going to show each other the respect to listen to the guy that's talking and trying to hold us accountable. You try to uh, keep these guys, their, their heads level in terms of social media. And I know a lot of love they probably received in the past two and a half weeks. No, we don't. I, absolutely not. We try. We want them to be themselves. And as long as their social media doesn't interfere with their work and their academics and their, their relationship with their teammates and coaches. No, everyone's different. I mean, if, if you enjoy that, then heck, fire away. If you enjoy watching movies, do that. If you enjoy video games, it, it's time to work. It's time to work. Otherwise, now we also we educate them and, and make sure they know that like, it's not always healthy. It's not real. Whatever you you know the the feelings you get from the social media is is fleeting and it could flip the other way. So you know there's there's all those things that go into it. And and we have guys that that love social media and, and have had things throughout the tournament said about them. And without a doubt, it it affects them. So it's been a nice introduction for us to kind of phase into this national attention because our guys kind of got a snapshot of, of the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, Elijah Martin had the dunk and everybody's coming at us. And then, you know, we, we went from the, 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 the lovable team to the villains, back to the lovable team. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I, I thought it was a great introduction. So, I mean, we're talking about that. Like, like all these lessons are preparing these guys for the real world, but it's not coming at them in a tidal wave. It's more like a splash versus the, you know, what, what some of these other programs have coming at their guys. So very, very healthy for us. Uh, Dusty Bay's the head coach of Florida Atlantic. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. A fantastic season, and it's going to be interesting. You guys are making a transition. You and five other Conference USA teams are going to the American Athletic coming up this season. You, are you excited about this transition you guys are making? Yeah, you know, John, it's new. So anytime that something is new, I think it's cool. And obviously new rivals um, for us 
travel is difficult getting to UTEP and getting to LaTeX just logistically. So we're going to all major cities for the most part, Philadelphia, where Temple is, and Charlotte stays with us, and Memphis. So travel gets a little bit easier. There's a, The television package is incredible for the AAC. So we'll be on ESPN, the, the main family channels, a majority of our games. Um, you play Sunday, so you get a little more attention because very few teams play on Sunday. So there's a lot of new and cool things that come with it. But, um, you know, our league, I mean, it, it's been a bear the last couple of years. It hasn't been much behind the AAC. And if you, if you take uh, Houston out of it, it's probably right on par. So, um, but yeah, the, the, just the newness. It almost feels like we're all going into a, a new job or a new situation, which is always healthy, um, you know, for, for guys. I believe of the teams from Conference USA that were postseason active, I think Rice lost in the CBI, and then you guys, you know, obviously on the last second shot to San Diego State, those are the only two. And I guess somebody lost in the NIT final too because you had two teams going against one another. But that was a hell of a record out of your league. Oh, impressive. I mean, North Texas won 31 games, UAB won 29. Those guys were top 25, top 30 caliber teams. And the bottom of the league wasn't bad this year either. I think UTEP finished towards the bottom, and they were they were good. And, and FIU was good. So, you know, it, it was tough. So, you know, we're not making a huge jump competition-wise, but we are making a big jump in perception and finances and, and television packages, those things. Man, I can't believe you're in are you, How much are you in charge of all this stuff that's coming up? I mean, I'm talking about, you know, my, the whole NIL stuff. I mean, you have to be incredibly active in all of that, which, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's incredible. But other stuff you got on your mind, this is just uh, added extra here, right? Well, there's nothing more important than, than our players. So, you know, we have a lot going on, but it's, it's like everything else. It's prioritizing. When, yeah. when we got this job, Everyone's calling about scheduling and everyone's calling about this or that. And it's, it's like, you know what, until we have a roster, none of this stuff matters. So we just got to, we have to prioritize what's important. Fortunately, our guys are very likable. They're engaging and they're out, you know, doing their own NIL stuff and they're aggressive with it. And, and the local community and businesses have, have been very receptive. So, uh, you know, we're just trying to, to plan recruiting now. We're trying to plan workouts and just get caught up because our season went so long. But mm. uh, if you're not if you're not fired up to be doing what we're doing right now, then, you know, the alternative is you're trying to figure out a way to, to, to I guess, recruit a team so you don't lose if you just lost. So. Um, you know, just trying to hang on to these guys, trying to put together a plan to help them be the best they can be. But uh, it also, you know, just just spending time, more time with these guys. Did you get a chance to see much of the national title game last night? No, we went to a, 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 a get together here in town with with a lot of big basketball boosters. So I watched probably four minutes of it. It's just kind of walking around talking to everybody. So yeah, you kind of look pretty good, man. Top to bottom, pretty good. Uh, they're impressive. I mean, I think Danny Hurley said it best when I asked him about his team, and he said, you know, it's not that hard. we got three pros, and then we've done a good job filling in around them. So you know, I think it seems like that's a nice formula. Three real pros and guys that, that embrace that and, 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 and compliment them. Hey, I, I um, and this is from also uh, Dustin Hayes told me this, and I agree with him on this. And I know you don't like to individualize things and guys on your team, but man, Elijah Martin's a badass. I mean, that is a badass dude right there, Dusty. He is. I, he just got better and better as that tournament went along. He did. He's special. He he had a couple of nagging injuries early in the year, which affected his. Uh, I guess first half of the season, but he's just a special person. I mean, I don't know if I, you know, that, that's the unique thing about our guys. Like 
if you said if you said they're you know U.S. senators, or if you said they're you know working for Fortune 500 companies as a, as a CEO, like I wouldn't be surprised. These are like really really good dudes with great work ethic, and and they really care about each other. Uh, they're vulnerable to each other. It's just just special. And Elijah's just like the rest of our guys, where he he's a great teammate. He loves his teammates. He he's a hard worker. He organized the pickup game yesterday. We told him to take two days off, two weeks off. I'm sorry. They're in here shooting at like seven 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 thirty a.m. and then they organize pickup at noon. And I walked by and I was like, I can't make them not play. But man, these guys and, and we're like, they love ball, so why would we not let them play if that's what they enjoy doing when they don't have anything else to do? Yeah, you got a bunch of little Mark Barnheisers running around down there. A bunch of Barney, <laughs> absolutely. They they love the game, and I, I guess why we all yes. get along so well. Cause our staff loves the game. Our players love the game. So we. You know that's the thing that's that's brought us together and bonded us. So why you know why not embrace it? Well, that's you. That, I mean that that's yeah. you in a nutshell. Somebody had asked me that last week about you, and I, I just I, as you know a player in high school. That's just how you were. I mean, you were putting together stuff and you were directing on the floor. And this is just an 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 older version of the young you right now it's just and i mentioned this a little bit earlier you just you have evolved in that but you're still yeah. very much you know dusty may you know salisbury indiana 1995 so 100 <laughs> values the core everything's the same it's just yeah. you, you, you try to evolve you try to get better you try to improve every year and we've got a couple guys in our locker room that that are incredible leaders i mean I don't have to go in and, 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 and make an issue out of this or that. I can say, hey, gee, hey, Nick, can you guys handle this? And and I got you, Coach. And it's it's handled. And so I'd be remiss to, to point that out. But that's, you know, having a healthy locker room with great leadership within, you know, and then the other guys follow them. And they, they speak, everyone listens. So it's it's been a blast just because of all all these factors. But, um, yeah, we you know the leadership piece is something that I, I you know with these young guys now it's it's hard to lead a group as a peer and and uh, these guys have done that so it, they're special. Hey Dusty, in closing here, I'd mention you know other teams coming to your guys. That's just the way that it is. It has been that yeah. way, but even more so now uh, in this era. Uh, yeah. Did other schools come at you? Uh, you know, it's third parties all around. I mean, it's yeah, it, it, that's something I, I don't want to. Yeah, I think everyone in our program would have great other options if they chose. Right, and and we all don't take for granted what we have here. Like let's just leave it at that. Well, and I knew I knew from from knowing you that uh, there was never any thought. I mean, with with what you got and what you're building down there to uh, to think about anything else. But I just I kind of wonder. I just wondered in terms of you know how other schools might come at your players the way that it is with the transfer portal now so easily done i was just kind of curious if it was the same way uh, but i, I mean there's yeah, a lot of third party stuff program, that goes on for sure pro- john there's not a program that has ncaa in front of division one division two that's not facing that challenge in some way shape or form and i think it's blown completely out of proportion i don't i think it's a non uh, subject to even talk about because if there's a guy at, at, at a Big Ten roster and he's not playing, then mid majors and low majors are reaching out to his his someone in his camp and letting them know, hey, if he's not happy and he wants to play more, we'd love to have. I mean, it's just it is how it is. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily a terrible thing. Sometimes change is good for kids. Sometimes they need to stay where they are. Every situation is different. I was never complaining about any of it. Just you know, being honest about the state yep. of the game. 
And it's it's not like we have three transfers on our roster and they're all in our rotation, very productive players. And then we have six guys that aren't transfers in our rotation. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, you, you play the hand you're dealt, you yep. do the best you can. But, the, you know, I don't have time to be worrying about about all that other stuff. Like whatever the rules are, we're going to brace it and, and fight like crazy to do our best. And that's all we can control. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's. it's and Michael Lewis was on with me a couple of weeks ago. I may have mentioned this to you too, and you know, he, he just says, "Hey, it's it's up to me to you know, I'm for here for these kids, you know, regardless. So if you know a move needs to be made for the better of them, I'm here for them there, and that's just kind of the way you have to look at it. I mean, as yes. as fairly and as diplomatically as possible, because as you mentioned, and rightly so, you don't really have time to worry about a lot of that stuff after the fact. You got to worry about who's going to be there and who's going to be there for your season. Yep. Actually, we're always team building. We're always culture building. But you also have to always be prepared. I mean, a couple of our better players on our team we got because other players surprisingly went into the portal. And if the timing was right, well, we could go get some other guys. So if it wasn't for the portal, we wouldn't have a couple of our really good players that have been in the program for a couple of years. Man, you had a big, uh, you had a big group down from GC over the weekend Man. too. Big group. Got. I don't even know who's at the games, but I, I see on Facebook or I check social media once a day, and it's like, oh, man, they were all there. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> he was at the game just because we're so locked in. But it was awesome just to see it bring so many people together, like to see that our players' families and all of them connect and, like, all your old high school, college friends, like everyone come together to, to for that experience was was really – you know, after the fact, really cool. I'm sure everybody enjoyed it in real time because I know that you know it was the same as a, as a November game for us. Yeah, I um, it's funny too because uh, I mentioned this to you before. It, it watching people respond to you. Uh, and get on board with you. Everybody kind of, you know, just around here related to you because obviously, you know, listen to me, we have ties and friendships and, you know, you were a manager at IU and everybody took all these stories and, and just kind of related them and connected them and got behind your guys a great deal. That was really cool to see, honestly. I'm just grateful they brought out the right stories. All the stories that I read were the right ones. <laughs> Hey, that could have, that could have went in another direction. Oh, uh, you didn't think I thought about that? I go. God. I said, fortunately, they got they got a hold of the right people. <laughs> that, that one night in 1994. So uh, yeah, yep. no, seriously, I think we can all re- relate to that. Yeah, we can. All right. Well, hey, stay in touch. If you get up here, if uh, you get up here, uh, especially on the weekend, we'll uh, put together a little something so you can get out there and. And play with us too. So let's we, do it. I appreciate it, John. I know people would love. People would absolutely love to uh, to hang out with you. But hey, congratulations to you and all your players and your school for just a, a fantastic, not only a run in this NCAA tournament, but uh, a fantastic season overall. Man, it was it was thrilling. It was awesome to watch. And as you know, I'm incredibly proud of you. Well done. Appreciate that, John. We'll uh, we'll talk soon, man. You got it, buddy. Thank you, Dusty.